Welcome to Communicate Like You Give a Damn, the podcast. Our guests share their stories and approaches to embedding diversity, equity, and inclusion in communications because, I mean, let's be honest, we know the power of language. And language leads to behavior. So thank you. Thank you for joining us in leveling up your communications. I'm your host, Kim Clark. And DEI communications, it's, it's kind of my thing. So let's get into it. Let's learn more about how to communicate like you give a damn. Okay, we are going on a ride. Maybe a little nostalgia. We're going to get into all kinds of ethics. Yes, today's guest, Anita Ford Saunders. Oh, I said that with like kind of a British accent for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of cool. <laughs> Anita Ford Saunders, APR. She yep. is an icon at PRSA in communications in the industry. She is leaving and still creating an incredible legacy uh, for so many of us who are continuing communications work to continue to co-create with her and to build upon what she has started. And I can't, can't wait for you to hear her story and get to know her work and uh, for all of us to learn from and continue to build on the ideas that she has been working on and that she has put into policy you know, through her work in various uh, community organizations like the NAACP, which we will get into, as well as the PRSA. So Anita and I actually met in the summer of 2020 when I was invited to be a part of a panel that PRSA's DEI committee, is that, is that right, Anita, that they were, yeah. that, that y'all were putting together yeah. and some way, somehow y'all found me and um, I immediately said yes. And admittedly, it was the very first panel I've ever been on where I'm the only white person. And uh, okay. I got that experience and I'm so grateful for it. And it was so popular, that webinar with an amount of registrations that uh, you, Alicia, Demi, me, you know, we, we brought the band back together and we did another one which right. would continue to be even more popular. So that's how we got to meet. And then when uh, the conscious communicator, the fine art of not saying stupid shit was coming out, we were looking for testimonials. I immediately thought of Anita who wrote the longest, most passionate and emphatic testimonial <laughs> for the book. <laughs> Anita, please introduce yourself to everybody so we can get to know you a little bit. Oh, Great. Thanks so much for having me, Kim. I am and always will be Anita Ford Saunders, APR. Um, you know, I am a uh, born and raised in Connecticut uh, family. My legacy is down south. Both my parents came from Georgia. I have been in this business for quite some time, over 40 years, but I didn't start in public relations. I started in broadcasting. I knew that um, I wanted to change things. I wanted to change images and what I what I saw. So I decided that I wanted to go into communications and to broadcasting to change images on television. Um, I've always been that kind of change person. You're looking at the, the person, the 16-year-old who got together and took over a building in high school because we wanted a black studies program. Oh, uh, always doing it. something different, always doing something, you know, Anita. So that was always kind of in my DNA. I thank my mom for that. Um, so uh, majored in communications, came back here to Connecticut, worked at a station CBS affiliate, WFSB, and never really wanted to be on air. I always wanted to be behind the scenes because. Hmm. I knew that that's where the power was. That's where mm. decisions were made. Um, production assistant uh, took a job in Detroit as an associate producer. A little step up and worked on game shows and talk shows, uh, uh, live entertainment shows. It was a larger market. Um, the Hudson's Day Parade live live uh, uh, events, which was great experience. Mm -hmm. um, 
the uh, the uh, Hudson's Day Parade in the rain and going to the airport in a limousine with soupy sails. And he <gasps> helped me. He helped me do my hair. <laughs> oh, it was raining. So soupy sales was from Detroit, and so he was like the the grandmaster of the of the parade. Okay. And he said to me, you know, I was going home. He says, "You want to ride to the airport?" I'm like, "Well, sure." You know. So we get into the uh, into his his limousine, and my hair is soaking wet, and I'm trying to do it, and he's helping me. Oh. He's helping me curl my hair. I'll never forget it. What a what a sweet guy he was. He really yeah. was. Um. So left Detroit, um, came back home, worked at a station in Springfield, Springfield, Massachusetts, a very, very small station, uh, Channel 40. Um, very interesting people there. If anybody remembers WKRP in Cincinnati. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I do. They were, yeah. Yeah. We had a sales guy kind of like that. You know? <laughs> okay. And, yeah. And, you know, I, I kind of knew. You know, you you run into these situations and I knew it maybe wasn't the place for me when I heard him on the phone with a client saying, if you don't hear from me, I'll be in touch. I'm like, what? (laughs) What does that even mean? You know, I'm like, you know, I think I need to move on from here. Came back to Hartford, worked at the NBC affiliate in public relations. Uh, applied for a couple of jobs within the station, went into public affairs, produced um, a lot of programs, won another Emmy there uh, for a show on um, Black Perspective. And wait, 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 wait. You, won a, you won an Emmy? Yes. Yeah. You're yeah, just, you're just be, saying that like you just had, no, you know, turkey for lunch. It. So I just, <laughs> just want to like, like kind of, um, you won an Emmy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I won an Emmy in um, part of a team that won an Emmy in Detroit as well for a kids show called um, uh, what was that show called? It wasn't. It was well. It wasn't Double Dip Sunday. It was uh, Super Kids. Um, won an Emmy here in Connecticut um, at uh, Channel Thirty for a program Black Perspective that I was doing, and then decided I don't know why to leave the business and go into sales. At the phone company in yellow page sales, because I knew that that would help build my character. Like I needed anything else to help build my character. (laughs) But um, it was it was very interesting. Um, I I left for a couple of years, did yellow page sales. People probably don't even remember what the yellow pages were. Um, It was tough. It was really a, a tough gig. Got a call from the Urban League uh, from a woman who was the executive director of the Urban League. She asked me to come be her PR director, PR and development director. Left Yellow Pages. Oh, dear. So sad. But left Yellow Page sales. Because the the growth in that market was, you know, up and to the right. Right. But, you know, it was a tough decision to uh, pivot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And um so, you know, when it was it was good because I could go back into the city and work with people that I knew, my own community, mm-hmm. um, and and work on building things in the community that the Urban League was doing with uh, education or, or health or housing, mm-hmm. things of, of that nature, really helping people out. And um I enjoyed that a lot and didn't think that I was going to get back into broadcasting at all. But got a phone call. It's interesting how my career has worked. It's always been this phone call. You know, never really, maybe a couple of times seeking a job, but most often getting a phone call saying, hey, would you be interested in this job? In particular, when I went to Connecticut Public Broadcasting, or it was really CPTV, Connecticut Public Television, um, I thought they were calling me to get a recommendation for someone else. Okay. So I start the phone conversation talking about this individual because mm-hmm. they had contacted me and said, yeah, I applied for this job and I'm going on, I'm glowing. And, and the president stopped me and he says, no, we were talking about you coming. And um, so I felt I absolutely needed to tell the person that I was 
going to be the reference for what was going on. They were they were fine with it. Ended up going to CPTV, spent several years there where we uh, premiered UConn Women's Basketball, which changed women's basketball in broadcasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the number one program on public television. <laughs> it, go figure. Um, and, you know, people were like, this is, wait, Masterpiece Theater? No, 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 no. It was basketball. It was basketball. So, um, you know, my career grew there. I started doing on-air things, um, left there for another opportunity, working with the foundation, then started my own business, stayed there for doing my own business for 10 years, and then went back into the dark side. (laughs) My husband retired. So um, I was like, okay, it's time for me to you know, carry the load, carry the insurance load, you know, went back into a corporation, uh, utility and, um, big business mm-hmm. corporations, not the place for me. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it didn't make me happy. I was very sad walking in, into the door mm-hmm. and as you know, this is kind of like a meandering, <laughs> you know, Left there, went to United Way, had a great time, uh, then worked for a director, a woman who is a producer, director, writer, Black women in medicine. This, uh, Crystal Emery is quadriplegic, and she produces documentary, Black Women in Medicine. And because she could not travel, I traveled a lot for her to film festivals and things of that nature. My last gig was Trinity College, Director of Advancement Communications, working with communications and their fundraising department, helping them tell their story, and so-called retired and went back into my own business after about three years there at uh, at Trinity. So here I am. (laughs) What an incredible, incredible career. Oh my gosh. And there was so much in there that I did not know. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so, and thank you again for this incredible, uh, testimonial that you did in the book. The very first thing you write in it is communication professionals and organizations have waited for quite some time for a book like this. The problem is we haven't realized it yet. Mm. So tied to that career, and all the contacts and all the all the work that you've done in all the various industries. What do you mean by that? The problem is we haven't realized it yet as communicators. Yeah. You know, you get into a job and um, you have to balance your beliefs and what's in your soul with what the organization that you were representing. And it always felt like we were on the cusp of of breaking through and communicating, but never able to get over that hump, never able to put a stake in the ground and say, we're, it, it wasn't a risk for me, but to them it was, it would have been a risk to say certain things, to do certain things. And it, it just, you know, we were just never able to get over that with any of the positions I think that I had, maybe, maybe with public broadcasting, we did a, we did a lot of great things in, at uh, Connecticut public television. Um, but in other organizations, it was just real tight, you know? And um, so those above us didn't even know that there was something on the other side, you know, that there was light at the end of the tunnel, you know? So I think that's what I was talking about that we didn't even we didn't even know it because you don't, you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. unless somebody gives it to you, somebody hands it to you. And I felt that the book was like a primer, you know, this is, you know, step by step. Think about this step by step in everything that you're doing. And we need that. We really do need that sometimes, you know, I, I needed that um, because DEI was kind of dropped on us. It started way, way back. It was maybe called affirmative action. And um, we were all kind of swimming around. What do we, you know, how, how do we manage this? How do we manage people? How do we communicate with this? Uh, people were afraid to communicate. And I felt the book was a great foundation 
for people to open up and really start doing some hard work. So thank you. Thank you for that. It, that means a lot. Um, and I, and, and I'm glad that you touched upon how, how DEI has this past over mm. decades. Um, in particular, touching communications and the way one of the things that the book is really trying to teach communicators is to understand the difference between performative, what, what is performative communications? Where is it coming from? What does it look like? And what do we mm -hmm. do to fix it? Because mm -hmm. so many communicators think that they're communicating correctly or doing the right thing when they're communicating changing a logo to a rainbow in June, for example, like they think they're doing the right thing. And this was to say, to your point, they don't know what they don't know. And it's to introduce because statistically, people who are in house communicators look like me. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have that lived experience. We haven't had the conversations. We haven't had the challenges. We, you know, we, we had, we've had some as women, but not the same as a variety of other communities. So we're coming from a lens that my mentor calls majority coding, C-O-D-I-N-G. And mm. so when a client comes to me and says, which has actually happened, hey, we're getting this feedback that we write for a white audience. We don't understand what that means. That's the kind of conversations we need to have because that's the kind of feedback that does need to be taken seriously because it's what it's doing is it's demonstrating ways that we can get better and better as communicators specifically around telling the story of outcomes and mutual benefit that diversity, equity, and inclusion can provide. So what are some of the kind of stories of where DEI has been and where do you see kind of the narrative of DEI needing to go given our current social context where there's a lot of leaders that are kind of leaning back mm -hmm. when they leaned in, now they're leaning back. And as many people have heard me say before, and this is the same thing my, that, uh, you know, my mentor taught me is that progress isn't linear, it's a spiral. Mm. So we're going back, but we're, gonna, yeah. we're coming around the corner and it's going to thrust us in forward. So for us to be a part of that, like, what can we learn from mistakes or mm. how do we build on improvements and continue the progress of being able to tell an accurate and beneficial and inclusive story around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Other people need to be at the table. That's, I, I think, a crucial um, issue and problem that people of color are not at the table. When things happen, when performative things happen and you get blowback, it's always, oh, my God, I, you know, I didn't know who was in the room. And and even if there was a person of color in the room, that one person of color in the room, did they have the support to courageously say, mm, no, I don't think we should do that um, or no, you're not going to do that. Um, and, you know, a lot of that comes with um, a lot of it comes with with being seasoned um, at my stage in my career. Um, <laughs> I think I said it in, in our session, <laughs> you know, I'm not afraid of much. Okay. I'm really not afraid of much. <laughs> I like spiders. <laughs> okay. But I'm not afraid of much. So being able to courageously say, mm, no, that's not going to fly is, um, I can say that with, with confidence and walk out of a room without fear. A lot of times we are not in situations where we can say those things. So there needs to be more than one person of color in the room. There needs to be someone who is differently abled in the room. Um, there needs to be, but then that you have to, you have to step back and okay, an organization, who have you hired? And if there are not people on that particular team that represent that, bring people in, let them know, understand that you are, you, you are a valuable part of this organization. And decisions that we make have to include all of us, all of our thought and take time with it. 
besides putting up the, you know, the, the black circle or blue circle or rainbow circle or square, whatever it is. Um, you mentioned things being circular. It's a little scary for me because I, I understand that, you know, if we look back on history, I want to get um, Rachel Maddow's book. Um, but I'm a little afraid to, to read it because I don't want to be freaked out. Um, but looking back at history, things are, 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 they come back around. And I'm just a little frustrated waiting for them to come back around mm-hmm. and seeing what I can do to hurry that up um, in communicating. In my position now, and, and I know that we were going to talk about that uh, as I won this this uh, election as president of the NAACP for Middlesex County in Connecticut. Um, I've spoken out a lot um, without fear of any repercussions. And, you know, I don't care. <laughs> you know, you come, come at me. I, I, you know, I'm not afraid of that because somebody has to say something. Somebody has to be able to communicate with authenticity, with truth, with courage. And if I'm able to touch someone or some group of someones that will say, oh yeah, you know, you're, you're right about that. Or let me think about that um, a little bit deeper. Then I will continue to do that job, you know? DEI will continue to be pushed. DEI, you know, and belonging, it's, it's, I'll continue. (laughs) I will just continue. And so talk about how you got involved with PRSA and the DEI committee, because that was one of the avenues where you did, you know, put something together that is incredibly meaningful and is now a touchstone for thousands of communicators to uh, take as a framework and guidance. So, um, you know, I got a phone call. I can't even remember. Oh, it's the uh, phone call again. Yeah, it's a phone call. It's <laughs> phone call. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I set my phone off. I'm like, oh, it's only um, And uh, I, from, from the chair of the board uh, at the time, trying to remember, I see your face. I apologize. Um, about the DEI committee, I wasn't really involved in it. And uh, Shanita Akintande, uh, Baraka Akintande, was the chair. It, it started off as this multicultural committee, um, like many committees. I didn't know much about it. I wasn't a part of it. And um, then Shanita, I, I tease her and always say she shot us out of a cannon. And okay, this is what we're going to do here. This is what diversity. And we were the D&I committee. Okay. And inclusion, we didn't have the the equity piece in that, and we we engaged our de our DNI um, chapter liaisons, brought them together on a monthly basis to talk about what they were doing, uh, issues they were having, sharing resources, that kind of thing, and then we said, okay, wait a minute, we need to have a strategic plan. It was the only committee, to my knowledge that had a strategic plan. And now in comes Felicia Blow, um, then uh, Andrea Gills-Monzon. And, you know, we were very strategic about leadership and we'd have, you know, we'd have vice vice chairs. And then one of those vice chairs would be chair with the person who was the chair, you know, with one of the chairs uh, before. Shanita was one, but we, we decided we needed two after that, you know, it's, it was a lot of work. We did research. Um, Felicia pushed uh, a survey, making sure that we had a survey. So we had some research behind what we were doing, uh, some some data. And um, it just started to, to build. And we decided, okay, the webinars that we're going to have, the diverse dialogues is what we decided to call it. And, you know, in the very beginning, we were performative, you know, in June, we, we would have whatever month it, it was. And in, in March, it was Women's History Month. And, you know, October was DEI Month and, and then Hispanic uh, Heritage Month, September, you know, uh, September into October. So we 
you know, we, we had a framework that we could we could work by and we created a toolkit to send out to chapters so they would have information on on um, language, on um, resources that they might need to expand their chapters, their particular chapters. Um, I wasn't sure what everybody else was doing. I didn't know what everybody else was doing. I didn't know what other, the other committees were doing. I knew only what we were doing. And uh, we had a new professional section. Um, we, um, we built that strategic plan very carefully. And then very carefully, when uh, Andrea and I became uh, co-chairs, um, you know, began to just kind of check things off on, on that um, on that plan, but also make sure that the board, the PRSA board understood that this committee was different. This committee was a resource for them in dealing with all of these issues because, you know, we were, we were smacked in the face when George Floyd was murdered. And, you know, when we did that, that, um, that webinar over a thousand people, Mm-hmm. People needed to talk. People needed to hear. People needed to find solutions to to what they were feeling and what they needed to say to their employees and and, and their audiences. Mm-hmm. So people were very hungry. So I think that absolutely um, helped catapult us to a priority for the board. It kind of you know, when I was on the board, I served on the board, DEI was important, but it was never um, a major chunk of what was being done. There were so many other things that needed to be done, you know, PRSA for, for our members. Um, the DEI committee specifically targeted HBCUs and HSIs, historically black colleges and universities and Hispanic serving institutions. We wanted to be sure that there was a connection between chapters and any of those schools that were in their particular area so that students would have resources, would have professional resources. Um, it's And it's tough, you know, making sure that those students get to PRSSA conferences. So, you know, we, we really focused a lot on students of color. And then the foundation, the PRSA Foundation. We were always, you know, as, as PRSA, okay, we got to raise money. Let's, you know, just call people. Can you give us $25? Can you do this? Um, again, I credit uh, Shanita. I credit Felicia and uh, helping really step this up. We had a campaign. This was during COVID. I can't remember. I think um, Shanita called it 2120. Uh, 20. I'd had something to do with the year and wanted all chapters to contribute uh, $210 or $220 um, to the foundation. And it was pretty successful. We did, we, this was during ICON when ICON, we were supposed to be, I don't know, probably I think in Nashville that year. And um, we did it virtually. We raised money virtually. And it also started with Minneapolis. PRSA Minneapolis gave us money as a foundation to build um, an endowment. Mm. So I got to give props to Minneapolis, Marsha Pitts Phillips and, and her colleagues there, they gave us money to endow what we're doing. So we still need money for the, you know, to add to the endowment, but it's not like robbing Peter to pay Paul. Now we have money to, to give to students mm-hmm. so that they can do the things that they need to do and be educated correctly when it comes to public relations. So it's, it's, we were doing a lot. You know, we were yeah. really doing a lot. Um, and I'm just not sure that any other committee was doing that. And I think the board realized this is important and that almost this committee should not exist. It should be PRSA. Yeah. Should. That's how you roll. Mm-hmm. Right. 
yeah, this is this is the PRSA when it comes to statements. We kind of had a little back and forth about that, you know. Mm-hmm. We would we as the committee would make a statement, and then you know I would step back and say, "Whoa, it's, that's not our job. That's your job, PRSA, to come out with a statement." And so it was a little bit of a of a of a struggle because PRSA had never um, taken that responsibility when it came to DEI. And um, they embraced it. Beautiful. They absolutely embraced it. It's just that it, it had never been really pushed before. And we pushed that mm-hmm. and pushed, we, are, we can be a resource. Um, and, and we are. Uh, so it is part of the PRSA plan, strategic plan. And we continue to serve as a resource to the board. And we got to serve as co-facilitators in this last PRSA icon in yep. October of 2023. We co-facilitated a conversation, a workshop around influencing organizations on social justice messaging. And it was such an honor to co-facilitate and co-speak with you. It was so fun. It was and fun. You know, we, we both thought, are we going to cuss when we talk? And yep, we sure did. <laughs> we were both very passionate about this work. Yeah. <laughs> and there was quite a few students in the room that came up to us afterwards. We handed out books, we signed, and and we had, uh, I think there was only 10, 15 people that didn't take a book uh, that mm-hmm. had to leave early. Everybody mm-hmm. in the room took a book. And so the conversation has already continued uh, beyond the session. There's definitely life after that. We've gotten a lot of, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback uh, from people yeah. sending me messages on LinkedIn. I hope you've gotten a lot of love as well. Yep. Yep. I have. I Hopefully have. we get a chance to do it again. You know, I, you know, it, I think we're quite a team. Um, I love yeah, that was really fun. Uh, but one thing we didn't get a chance to really catch up on when we saw each other in Nashville is all the work you're doing with NAACP. Now, you've sent me some things that have happened in your area yeah. to demonstrate how deep and audacious and visible the work that you're trying to educate people out of and support people out of uh, continues to occur. Uh, yeah. And your organization, the work that you're doing there locally, as as you mentioned earlier, you're not shy. Like somebody has to say the thing. Somebody has to speak the truth. That's a capital T truth. Yeah. And so talk about that work, uh, how and why you got involved in it, and um, how does this relate and intersect with your work as a communicator? Uh, really, really Good, good question. Uh, the the connection there. Um, so, how did I get involved? Well, I, I was involved just as a member, uh, going to meetings virtually because we were all virtual at that time, and I, I just really felt that there was more to do, that we could do more. And uh, I was I was kind of pulling back from PRSA, wanted to be more involved in my community locally. And uh, you know, kids are grown, so you have a little bit of time. Semi-retired, have some time. And um, I had a vision. I had a vision that the NAACP could speak out and change hearts and minds, but also broaden our reach past Middletown. Middlesex County is like 14, is a city, Middletown, and 14 towns around us. And we really don't reach or touch people in those those towns. And I think it's important for us to do that. Now, those towns are mostly white towns. They don't even know we exist, many of them, okay? But it's going to take some time for us to move in that that area. Now, getting back to what's happening here in Middletown, I showed you video of uh, a couple who uh, took it upon themselves to, uh, I called it, racist trash talk to mm-hmm. a uh, a landscaping crew uh gentleman who who it was his business landscaping business he was doing his job and this couple just behaved badly mm-hmm. um it it um it went viral even internationally actually i think and um 
So I needed to write about that. And I needed to, we needed to do something about it. Yes, the mayor did something about it. Um, they were arrested. I'm not sure what the charge was. It should have been a hate crime. But um, yes, things like that happen. That's very visible. But the things that happen that are not visible are the things that we hear about, that I hear about. Um, parents calling me about their children being targeted in school. Um, administrators and teachers calling me about being harassed by whether other white teachers or colleagues. Um, people who are employed um, in, in stores and, and things happen in stores. Now, we are not attorneys. What we can do is recommend, offer resources, but mostly show support. That, that I know means a lot to people. Um, also, show up. Just show up. We had a situation where um, three Republican candidates just, uh, they, had a, uh, they have a public access show called The Variety Show. I'm like, okay, Variety Show. This isn't Carol Burnett. <laughs> okay. And really they are um three uh three people who are technically adults who act like children going back and forth um uh talking about black people, talking about women, um uh misogyny, racism, and one of one of the people was black. Now, these folks are running for common council and one is running for common council and running for a uh, board of education because they just want to they want to be sure to, to get in there. You know, and um, it was amazing that they didn't think that the things they were saying that that. that um, oh God. That the government. Was the was a black woman's daddy or baby daddy, you know, would say things like that. Wow. Um, and this came from the mouth of the black man um, who wants to be a part of running this city. That's a problem. And this stuff happened just before we went to Nashville. Thank mm. goodness there are people in town. We had a, a person who was on the Common Council held a press release, I mean, a press conference and said, look, this is not good. You know, we asked, I asked, the NW, we were there. I had representatives there from NAACP and other city council and other people there to say, this is not who we are. So again, making sure that we take a stand, that we're visible and that people, you, we're not gonna let you get away with that. You know, there are so many things that are underneath and a message that I tried to send, I, I wrote a letter to people. I'll send it to you. Um, when someone says these things are happening to them, believe them. Yes. Believe them. That is, that's half the problem. And, and we try to mediate and people try to tiptoe around it and unions you know, tiptoe and protect their, their, their union members. I'm like, no, <laughs> you need to go. But you also don't need to be passed on to, to another, another school or, or another organization to do the same thing and terrorize other people. There are things that happen to our children um, when they were small because there wasn't someone in the room. Imagine, and this was, you know, years ago, but imagine, um, I love the story. And I have the, this picture of, of my son. It was picture day. You know, they, they take the picture and then they send the sample picture home and say, which one do you, do you like? And I'm, I'm looking at the picture. My husband says, he just, he just says, here's the picture. He doesn't say a word. And I'm looking at the picture and there is a rope over his shoulder. And I'm like, who thought it was a good idea to put like a like a lasso or rope over a young black boy's shoulder looking like a noose? Who thought that was a good idea? Nobody was in the room. 
And when I went to the principal, she didn't see anything wrong with it. And, no, there, you know, there needs to be people in the room. You're arguing with a principal about getting your child into AP courses because you know they can do it, but they want to track our kids and put them in the in the lower, lower courses and fighting with them to do that. I shouldn't have to fight. Parents shouldn't have to fight. And it was so satisfying to me when I went back to that principal and said, guess what? He's an accountant now. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you tried to keep him out of AP math, but he's an accountant now, working for a Fortune 500 company. Mm. So, you know, and, and, and this is a two-parent family. It, it has nothing to do with with your your um, your standing in the community, so to speak. I am black. My kids are black. I live in a neighborhood where we have nice houses. The same things happen to my kids that happen to other kids who might live on the north end of town. It it is not any different. So I fight for them. I fight for for all of our children. Mm-hmm. And that's my that's my focus. We're having a retreat this weekend to plan for 2024 and um, to work with the school system to make sure they know that we're here, to make sure I call myself the accountability angel, working with the city who has uh, major issues, major DEI issues, has had them for years, and they need to deal with it now should have been dealt with years ago, but they need to deal, deal with it now, not as a one-off, but as, as a, a, a two-year-long process to clean up and, and purge a lot of stuff that's been going on in the city. So as the NAACP, you know, I, I really do think it's, it's our job to check, to check on folks. You know, we, we, you know, Ben Crump hasn't come into our area yet, you know, because those these are the things, the soft things, you know, when, when Ben Crump gets involved, those are the really that's the hard stuff. You know, the the, the woman whose son was was um, killed by a police car, by an accident, buried. And she never nobody ever told her about yet yeah, that Ben Crump needs to come in here and do that. He came in with a, a, a situation we had in, in New Haven. Brandy Cox is in the police cruiser, right? Paralyzed for life. Okay. And so that's very visible. We see that. But there's so many things that are going on underneath. And it can be, you know, I've, I've had situations and times when I had to just sit back and like, okay, woosah, because it's heavy. Mm-hmm. You want to do, you want to help. And there's so much, yet there's so much that we can't do. You know, there's a lot of stuff in the way. Uh, there's a lot of politics in the way. There's a lot of nepotism in the way. There's a lot of red tape in the way. And you need to have people around you who will support you and who will um, surround you with love and grace and understanding and also who will take some of that weight. Because as president, I this I feel uh, a responsibility. I feel a real responsibility to help people, uh, as as do I think certainly my executive team and committee members. Um, this, there's a lot of work to be done, and um, hopefully we can just make a a dent mm-hmm. and open the door and and. When you talk about communicating authentic, let's stop lying to each other. You know, it's a good place to um, start. Yeah, that that's a good place to communicate. Like you give a damn. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, I love that. Oh my gosh, I am so going to use that, Kim. I am so going to use that. Uh-huh. I, I I'll, I'll give you props, okay, but I'm definitely using that. Thank you. Uh, as as I move forward. Yeah. 
Well, that, that was going to be my last question is, what does it look like to communicate like you give a damn? Or what does it sound like? And it sounds like stop lying. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell mean, the truth. <laughs> you know, when, you have, when you have city government that is so used to going around whatever policies have been have been set in order to to um you know kind of you know g- give opportunities to to just some folks mm-hmm. um, and um it's that's like standard operating procedure for people and you you see this stuff and you're like wait a minute you were you were um you were the head of of zoning and you changed a law a policy so your friend could get something done. I mean, a five-year-old would tell you that's wrong. <laughs> okay. Right. right. Don't lie. Don't lie to me. Um, I wrote a, a piece, I think in 2018 for ethics for, for BEPS. And it was about ethics is everything. It's, it's all the things you learned in kindergarten. You know, don't, don't, don't lie. Remember Pinocchio? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and we, we add this complexity to support our own actions, rationalize them, legalize right. them, um, remain ignorant for some of us, you know, and so that's where the partnership yeah, and, and advocacy needs to come in. It's and frustrating. Like I'm a, I'm a member of our local uh, NAACP chapter, and I know the president. She's a friend of mine. We've known each other for years. And she participates in a lot of very visible events and sponsoring. So she, she works very, very hard in this primarily white community that I live in as woo woo as it is. You know, as you walk down downtown, you'll, you'll trip over somebody that does Reiki and massage therapy every five steps. But, <laughs> but as far as racial diversity, that's, that is not as common. Um, I think we're around 2% in our census. Mm. And mm-hmm. so it's atrociously low. Um, but that's something that my friend who's the president of the local chapter is, is trying to change, obviously, mm-hmm. to make this place, you know, more attractive for people of color and mm-hmm. continue to work with those of us to make sure it's kind of like it's not, not too different than what DEI work can be from an HR standpoint within an organization. It's like, before she goes out and does the recruiting, she's making sure that this is going to be an inclusive place to retain and grow. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. You know, we have an issue with the school system. Yes, we need more teachers of color. But, you know, when you recruit people, you need to be sure you have support systems for for folks. You know, where 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 are the churches? Where where am I going to get my hair done? Where am I going to, you know, exactly. all these things? You know? Exactly. Yeah. Well, Anita, this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you for all of the work that you've done and, and the, the, the trajectory that you've put PRSA on and those of us who follow your work. Thank you for taking the hits. Um, <laughs> and, and speaking, speaking up, being a role model for those of us like me who need to speak up more. And get more of our, our feet and, and confidence in speaking up, even if we make mistakes, when we make mistakes, that's part of the process. And right. we need to keep right. going and advocating. So thank you so much. How can people continue to learn from you, follow you, staying connected with you? Oh, I, you know, it's, it's, I'm so busy doing, doing other stuff. Well, you know, Instagram, I'm going to uh, re-up my Instagram, uh, AFSCOM, um, and uh, Facebook, certainly. I've kind of gotten off of X. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. You Janet know? and I left as soon as Elon yeah. Musk bought it, so we're not, yeah. 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 And <laughs> I'm, not, right. I'm not really into giving my content over to somebody <laughs> like no. that, no. no. So, yeah. I've kind of decided that I'm going to use uh, Instagram um, a lot more. And, and I got to give a shout out to DEI to Marsha Pitts-Philip and, and Patrick uh, McSweeney and Jaron Terry and everybody who has come before because it is it has been a team effort. Shanita, Felicia, Andrea, 
you know, Patrick, mm-hmm. me, uh, and Marsha and, and um, um, Patrick are, are the current chairs now. Great. Um, and uh, hopefully Raquel will um, come along and Renee, they're going to, they're vice chairs and we'll take over. And there's strength in how we've done this and how we support each other. And so that's really important. So your friend who was the head of the NAACP, give her a hug um, because she needs that. Just to know that you you're bet. there, that there are other people there that, that will give her some strength. Because what we've built with the PRSA DEI committee is that foundation, that leadership. Okay. People who really know how to lead and allow people to use their gifts to lead as well. It really takes a team and it's a phenomenal team. And shout out to Janine Garcia. Oh my gosh, Janine, what we what would we do without Janine, who is our PRSA liaison? When we come up with these ideas, and she very calmly says <laughs> that is a beautiful okay. skill. Yeah, right. Okay, Anita, you want to have a party at the top of the uh Empire State Building? Let's think about that. <laughs> Game this out. She is our rock. She really is our rock. Um, We all need Janine together. Yeah, Janine Garcia. So I I have to get a shout out to to Janine. And you're on LinkedIn as well. So I am on LinkedIn. So read the book. Anita has endorsed it and given us her blessing on it. Let it help you. Uh, build the infrastructure and team that Anita talked about. Um, learn more about, okay, are we, are we still in the stage of performative communications? Like Anita was talking about early on in the committee. And it's a place to start, but we don't stay there. That's, that's the point. It's like, get to where, you know, and then let's, let's work on what you have control over and what is before you to do. It's an incremental thing, no different than a product iteration. And so you're, you're constantly improving. And so when you know better, you do better, as Dr. Maya Angelou talks about. So, Anita, yeah. thank you so much for taking the time yeah, to speak with me and being on this podcast. It's an honor. A wonderful, wonderful time. I so enjoyed this. Thanks so much, Kim. Okay. So what popped out to you from this conversation? And I mean, it may take a minute to process, but be sure not to brush off what you just heard. Look, you just need a partner to be with you through this experience and understand what to do next. So I'm inviting you to set up a one-on-one strategy session. All you need to do is go to communicate like you give a damn the podcast.com and you'll see the button there. The more conscious communicators in the world, the better the world. So thank you for listening. And until next time, let's communicate like we give a damn.